Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Um, Can we just, before we go there, talk about Evie is doing a poo. Doing Doing a poo. poo. (laughs) Did Sam keep it in? Nah. Oh, what a shame. I want him to. Evie's doing a poo. Evie's doing a poo. Evie's doing a poo. Doing a poo. Doing a poo. Evie's doing a poo. Doing a poo. She's doing a poo. Because people poo. She's doing a poo. She's doing, doing a poo. <laughs> She's doing. Because you were going for a good five minutes, so I was it just like, laugh. She's doing a poo. I just came up with a song. It was so good, and it was like you know, it was, mm-hmm. it, it it was it was the Greta Thunberg. You know, you had to wait until I heard it back oh, recorded yeah. later. It's so good. Greta Thun- Thunberg did a tweet. I where she, she tweeted exactly the same thing that yeah. Donald tweeted to her a year ago. And it's like, I love jokes where you have to wait a really long time <laughs> to get that punch. Yes. Doing oh, a poo. poo. She's doing a poo. All right. Hey. G'day, mates. What's going on? Welcome to the stupid old studio. Oh, my God. It's so good to be back. How does this sound? Stupid old studio. It sounds lovely. Stupid old studio. What's been going on with you? Oh, my God. It's so good to be back. Is it? Yeah. I just I feel like we like it's proper. I apologise for having my glasses on. They won't be on all the time. That's okay. Keep them on. That's lovely. Thank you. Congratulations to Victoria. Oh, no cases. Eight days straight, mate. No cases. No cases, no deaths. No deaths. Oh, it's so good. I can't believe it. Did you think we would ever – I didn't think we'd ever get to – Zero. I, I I knew we would, but I be, I was losing hope of when it was going to happen. Mm, mm. I thought we could be in this world forever. Yeah, I imagine but that. But we're here, and that doesn't mean. Look, I'm going to be a bit of a Dan Andrews right now. Look, that doesn't mean we're out of the woods, mate. <laughs> I love it. It could come back. The pandemic hasn't gone away. I know. It's, this it's, isn't a vaccine to it. It's the worst that it's ever been in Europe and the US. Oh, God, I know. It's so sad, isn't it? But the one good thing is they're calling it um, the Victorian lockdown. Like, they call it that around oh, the world. Oh. Should we do the Victorian lockdown? Right. Yeah, so we've 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 become a, a name for success. Mm, I love how good. quiet all the naysayers have become. Yes, haven't they? Where are they now? I don't know. Well, they're just hanging around not being whingy anymore because they're allowed <laughs> to do things again. Exactly. But you know what was really weird? On 
Tuesday we had the Melbourne Cup, so mm. you and I went to the well. We went to go to the beach earlier, mm. and we both turned around and went home to our respective homes <laughs> because it was like car parks mm. on the roads. Mm. Mm. And then we went later on in the night, mm-hmm. and it was still absolutely packed. And I can completely understand um, why it was everyone's first go out. Oh yeah, first go at having a twenty-five kilometer. Yes. You know, radius being given. So, and it was a beautiful day and we all had the day off. It was 31 degrees. And no one could go to the Melbourne Cup. So Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. was like, well, I'm going to go to the beach. And everyone did go to the beach, (laughs) which was kind of lovely to see. But did you also nose? Nose. Nose. Did you nose? Oh, did I nose? Or did you nose Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice on the news that there was also anti-lockdown, anti-mask or anti-something mm. protests still going on that day. Where? Yeah, there was like a shitload of um, arrests. Where at though? Um, in the city. Ah. Like, you know. Like an organised protest, not yeah, just people like walking around. Yeah, like not... where they've been doing it. Oh, I didn't even hear it. We didn't I know, even hear about that. Why would you bother no. doing an anti... Because I think there's still a lot of people who think... Like I was listening to a podcast this morning that, you know, Sam Harris um, Making Sense podcast. I, I put it yeah. in our group the other week. But um, they're talking about how masks have become a political statement. Yeah, oh, it has. It and everyone's right just, you know, it's like if you wear a mask, you're on the left and you're a bit self-righteous and you're a bit kind of like, oh, well, I wear a mask because I respect, you know, that that's what we should do. And then the right yeah. are like... I'm not fucking wearing a mask. It's my human right human to right, do what my I want to do. Yeah, your old sheeple. And it's just a fucking mask. It's and it's mask. like the experts are saying wear it because it's going to help. So just take the politics out of it and just wear the fucking mask. People can't help. They can't take politics out of anything. Well, they should. There seems to be a lot of whingy people. Mm. I, I saw something about mm. the you know back in the World War Two or. Um, air raids, they would say mm. Winston Churchill said during World War Two to the people in London yeah. and surrounds, we're going to let you know when to turn all your lights off because when the air raids happen, they can't see where to bomb. Like oh. they can't see buildings. Right. And everyone did it. Yeah. Imagine if people went, it's my right to not... <laughs> Turn my light off. I want to leave my lights on. I actually think this is a huge conspiracy. This (laughs) flyover. Wow. That's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what people are using that as as an example. Mm. The government told them to be safe Mm -hmm. and to work together as a community Mm. to keep each other safe. Mm -hmm. No different to what we're doing now. (laughs) People are like, nope. No. I'm going to keep my lights on. In fact... Yeah. I'm going to turn every single yeah. light on in my house. In fact, I'm going to get a neon sign mm. that goes, here I am, mm. I dare you. Bomb here. Bomb me. <laughs> I bet you won't. Yeah, speaking of that Sam Harris podcast that I did send in the group, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it yet, but given that we're now on like day four or five of the election results being... Well, four. Day four. America. Yeah. So there's still Friday. It's such a good, yeah, it's this this um, this um episode that I listened to, Sam Harris with Andrew Sullivan, 
who is a conservative and Sam, Sam Harris is a liberal, but they have this debate um, where they go onto each other's podcasts and they call it a, a um, simul, what are they called? Simulcast because mm. they mm. release it on both of their podcasts, That's which a is a really great, great idea. And they um, always talk about, they have a really nice respect respect for each other and they have an arg- like they have a nice argument yeah. and they listen to each other that's the difference and it's amazing this no one's listening no no what and this pardon sorry what did you say oh, i was just saying sorry, that, i wasn't um, listening <laughs> they go really deeply into the psyche of of trump and even andrew sullivan which you know he's he's a conservative he still says that um, you can still have a right to engage in um, rational arguments rather than just putting all of the right into one bucket and saying they don't know what they're talking about, they don't have an argument. Exactly. And he, but, but then even still he says that he makes a really good point because Sam Harris says to him, what do you say to all the people who, who say, you know, well, Trump is just, we, you just can't like him as a human. He's just a, he's just unlikable. He's just done really awful things and he's a very, un, he calls him a despicable human. Mm. And um, Fugly slut. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew um, Sullivan says, which is interesting because even though he is a conservative, he says that his politics, um, and I'm just going to quote it here because I knew I would get it wrong, but he says his manner of politics in which the truth is indispensable is all about the narrative. It's the narrative that matters rather than the truth. It's all built on fantasy. Um, and he said he's even tried to follow his arguments, like rewatch the debates and go, okay, going to really try to follow his argument. And he said, but it's impossible to follow because everything he talks about is built on um, invented scenarios and fake statistics. Yes. And he said, what happens is, this is really interesting, we resort to tribal feelings of emotion rather than fact. And um, he is really good at exploiting these emotions and our um rational thinking is short-circuited because we're only thinking about emotion. He incites so much emotion in people like, God, he's a fucking idiot. God, he's a, you know, that it's, that we lose the ability to think rationally. To look at what's important. Yeah. And he does this on purpose. Mm -hmm. And he says it it triggers our own tribal feelings in order for us to respond. And he said he's never seen a time in government where there's been no shared facts or shared views for what's good. He said it's just all about um, Trump having a narcissistic, subjective feeling. It's all built on feelings and emotions. And um, he says that a democracy requires the respect to engage in an argument and he has completely, Trump has completely um, subverted this because of the the emotion. He has this knack of making his enemies worse people because he's a sociopath. He um, actually corrupts good people to become sociopaths to to get up to his level. It's so fascinating. The way that they, you know, really like break this apart. It's It's, um, it's fascinating. Oh, it's just amazing. Gaslighting. 
mm. um, human mm. narcissist who are there, who are so good at what they do. Yeah. And it reminds me of someone very close to me who I grew up with uh-huh. that did that so well throughout my life Mm, mm. and I watched and you get so enraged all you've got left is emotion and confusion Mm -hmm. and you feel so helpless that it actually makes you crazy yeah and then you look crazy yeah yeah and that is exactly what he don't want yeah Yep. And it's so frustrating because when you do realise that you have to become almost a scholar in um, mindfuckery. Meeting up, meeting his. To get, his, yeah, to yeah, get yeah, up yeah. Over, above it. Yeah, it's... it's Because he's, he's not smart, but he's so conditioned by mm. his father yes. to be this way. Yes. That even if he tried to be something else, he couldn't. It's so ingrained Grind. in him. Yeah, he probably doesn't even know he's no. doing it. But he doesn't even know how clever he is. Is at it, exactly. But he does know how powerful it is. And mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. to him, that's why he calls himself a genius. Mm-hmm. He's like, I wanted to, I just said I wanted to get into the Oval Office. I wanted to become the president. I said I wanted to become the president. And I did it. And th- that's not being smart. That makes me a genius. Yeah, wow. And you know what? It does. Yeah. Well, if you can end, because he's been able to to pull it off. And that they finally say that, you know, for this argument about it, it doesn't matter what kind of person he is. It's all about his policies. No, and and, and they're, they're both, they both agree. They're like... It matters a lot. a lot. It matters. It really matters. It that, really does. That he, he's that type of person. Yeah. And he shows nothing but, um, that, you know, he's um, interested in his own personal gain yeah. Above, yeah. above anything else. Everything. And even like the things I've been reading amazingly, um, I shared it with the WhatsApp group. It was 35 people's reasons why they voted for Trump then and not this time. It was right. a fascinating yeah, I haven't, read. I haven't read that yet. Um, but a lot of them had the same reason yeah. for I wanted something different with I thought a businessman yes. w- who runs businesses would be a great – he'd take the politics out of it that yeah. we are so sick of. And then the same reason that a lot of them decided not to this time was because, well, they'd all looked into, they wish they'd looked into him further, mm. didn't realise he was such a failed businessman yeah. and has taken the American economy and basically every choice that he's made financially has been about boosting his, his money. 100%. His businesses. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't care how anyone else is being affected by it. And the amount of people out of 35 that were saying, Mm. this is why I'm not like... Had they all turned, all of the the 35 of them? 35 people who were asked, have you, did you vote for Trump and are you voting for him now? And these are just the ones who said we did, but now we're not. And this is why. It's a fascinating read. Yeah. Because, you know, some of them, two of them were like, well, I was just 18, never voted before and listened to my parents. And then I've done research since. Mm. And the fact if you take that as like, yes, he's a businessman and, you know, and and that if you just look at that just as policy, I think it makes sense. Like if you were looking for someone like that who, but then, but then you put that he's also a shit human on top of it. (laughs) Yeah. Which a lot of people don't, and they go, "Well, that yeah. doesn't matter because it doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter that they people don't know. like him." We've become a society as a collective of only talking in absolutes. 
That's exactly what they said today on the. On Did the, they? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's been coming yes, for a yes. long time, but now yep. it is ble- like blindingly clear how absolute mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. become. Mm-hmm. He is an absolute dickhead, and he is an absolute angel. Black, black and white. Black and white. Yeah, you know, and it started with religion. I think almost a century ago, you know, where it was mm. no, you didn't question the mystery anymore. Yep. You talked in absolutes. Yeah, yeah. The 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 example I heard this morning was the Sam Harris podcast, but they were talking about the um, the the pandemic, and they had a, a guy on looking at the psychology behind why we've why we've stopped trusting experts and the eliteness that comes with an expert telling us what to do and how we're all like no. And this is where the political thing about wearing masks come from as well. But they were saying that they. Um, there's no room for grey anymore. Yeah. We we never go, oh, well, maybe maybe, maybe that's mm, not. That's a good point. I've not it, thought of it that way. Yeah, it's just no. No. You're wrong and I'm right. And I'm and completely guilty of it. Yeah, I've absolutely done it as well. Um, and we need to stop. But yeah. at the same time, we need to shut down people that say really dumb things. Yeah, yeah. Um, racist, homophobic, mis- mm, 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 misogynistic. Uh, transphobic, that kind of yes. stuff. Shut it down. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But at the same time, when you do say to someone, okay, I hear you, mm, I hear you, mm, I'm listening, mm. they can change their yeah. um, focus and laser anger yeah, at yeah. you. Yeah, Sam Harris, I have a feeling, mm. I could be wrong, I'll have yeah. to look it up, yeah. that he might be part of that team of the circus, that show that I watch. Ah, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Mm. Maybe, because they they're very good. Those those I think there's four or five yep. of them. Yeah, he could um, be, and mm. they ha- must do other things. Yeah, I follow them all on Twitter. One of them followed me back. Hello, ding 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 ding. One of them's really cute. He's old and he wears a um. Sam Harris one. is really cute. Oh no, this one's called Mark. Mark, someone, but yeah, right. Sam Harris. It, oh, Sammy, I, I Sammy, same. our Sammy just got me a coffee. Is it good? Mm. Oh, I Lovely. heard that. Oh, Sammy, I do want one now. Joking. Oh, how fucking right. Joking. I've started listening to a new podcast called The Use of Force, Australian podcast. Oh, Amazing. yeah, you told us last week. Um, no, I didn't tell everyone. I only told you at Spunners. <laughs> <laughs> we forget what we just talk about in real life and what we talk about on the podcast. Um, but it's this woman who wanted True. to make a, I think she wanted to make a documentary about um, PTSD in the police force. So she contacts this girl who, woman who had spent some time in a rehab centre for PTSD, a retired policewoman, and she starts having conversations with her and she said that they, she would call her up and they'd talk for three hours and mm. she was like, holy shit, like I have just uncovered the biggest, opened the biggest Pandora's box around the New South Wales police force and the corruption and what goes what goes on. It's simply oh unbelievable what goes on, like what this woman has said. She's basically come out and she uses her own name. She's talks about, she doesn't mention her partners by name and they bleep out a lot of, her bosses and things like that. But the way that she's treated as a woman in the New South Wales police force, what the shit that goes on with the men in the police force, what they do 
is what do they do? She had to go. I'm not going to tell you all the stories, but this is just one. She would have to go every day and buy a case of beer. And then so the men could drink the case of beer and smoke cigarettes in the car park and then she would have to be the designated driver. So every time they were called out on a thing, she would have to drive because they were all pissed and drive out to um, to calls. And she remembers one time she went to, she got called to a, they got called to a nightclub and she was only had been on the job for three days. She got she was nineteen. She got called to a nightclub, a job, and the police. Her partner said, "You stay here. I've got this. Stay in the car." And she said he went inside. When he went inside, the bouncer carried out a girl who looked like she was ODing, put her in the laneway, and the bouncer went back inside. And the owner of the club came out. The, there was an exchange of money. And the guy got back in the car and she said, don't we have to, like, call the ambulance or something? Like, she's not well. Like, and he said, don't worry, it's, it's dealt with. Don't worry about it. We've dealt with it. And How? By, well, because the club owners pay, so the, the club owner paid the police so that um, they didn't want a, an OD on their, pro- on their property. Yeah. So if they put her out onto the... Laneway. She's, she's just a druggie that's, yeah. Yeah, druggie that's OD'd in the laneway. And the police go, well, we don't make a big deal about it if you pay us. And they did. Where was that at? That was in Sydney. And she said the amount of times that happened, she can't even begin to count. She's just like, it just happens. How old is she now? All the time. She's in her 40s now. So this was back in like, you so know, 80s, 90s. 90s. She talks about all of the... Um, the street gangs, like the you know the Bankstown boys and the, all of those, um, so many times she tried to just do her job at which she thought she should be doing, you know, as a policewoman, and she just got railroaded by these policemen the whole time. It's unbelievable. So that is yeah, that is that that should be um, an inquest. It, there needs mm, to be. Mm. Um, an investigation. So and and so the maker of the yeah the what maker do you call of the, them yeah an inquest is yeah. what they call it yeah, yeah an inquest. Well, the yeah. the thing that they just did with quarantine um, hotels yeah, an inquest. They need to do that in yeah. investigation. Yeah, seven thirty report needs to get onto this. So she's actually the maker of the podcast has shipped the idea around, shopped the idea around to a TV production to get it made yeah. into a documentary, and she only got. Well, she got an offer from, and she won't say who it is, but she said they're a very male um, content-oriented production company mm-hmm. and she said that they wouldn't have given the the woman who comes out and speaks about it, they wouldn't have portrayed her in the right light, so yeah. she shut it down yeah. to protect her. Yeah, she said, good. no, I'm, I can't do they that to my informer. Not, you, yeah. You're just going to... Yeah. They would have controlled the edit of, exactly. of the woman's... Yeah. So she said, we're still... We're still going to shop it around until Good. we find the right partner. And Reese we, Witherspoon, you know, yeah, imagine. give it to her. God. She'll do it. Her and Nicole. Speaking of Nicole, oh my goodness, the oh undoing. My goodness. For those who haven't seen it yet, get on board. Get on board. Two the episodes undoing. Foxtel. Jesus H Christ. I think it's on binge. 
which is it okay. like is if you don't have Foxtel, you can just buy the series. Oh, probably for yeah. people. I think yeah. I've just found that out. Oh, so because a lot of people don't have Foxtel, they of, don't. Of course, they don't. Who would? I don't. I, I certainly wouldn't be paying for it if I didn't get it for free. I just give. I just use someone. Yeah, I use it. someone else's. I'm not giving Murdoch any more money. No. But I'll use this product. <laughs> anyway, Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant. Oh, my God. Can um, we just talk about her hair? Oh, her, she looks, I said this to you the other day, she looks amazing. Her face moves. She's got her wrinkles in her forehead. She's got red curly hair. I want to get my Botox done like her. Have yeah. you noticed that she's only got wrinkles up here? Um, yeah. Just above her eyebrows but not above that? Yes. All above towards the hairline there's no wrinkles. So it's half a forehead. Yeah, and I'm like, hmm. I'm going to call that the Nick Botox. The Nick. Well, I just got new Botox. Yeah. And how is it setting in yet? Yeah. My yeah. Botox person said because I normally get it in my forehead. Yes. She said, stop getting it in your forehead. You, she said, if you can just don't not worry about those lines, but we'll stop the frownies. Yeah. When you get Botox in your forehead, it makes your forehead heavy. It does. And then you get you get your eyes get. You a look bit, like Herman Munster. Yeah. So she said, I, we're I've not going to do. I've done it many do, times. It's a big mistake. So I'm not doing my forehead, which I kind of like, a bit of movement in my oh, forehead. Oh, God. That's why I'm looking at Nicole going, I can't go. I love it. When I looked at any episodes of me on I'm a Celebrity, mm. I had really a lot of Botox in my forehead. Did you? Yeah. And oh. to me, it's really obvious. Right. To no one else, thank God. Yeah. But um, I also had, it, it made, because of that Herman Munster. <laughs> Because of that Herman Munster You're right. um, problem, yes, I had what they call um, an eyebrow lift. So they inject Botox to, in certain areas, yes. and that lifts the eyebrows, to get keeps that it up. Well. Remember, our Kylie mm, had mm. just one of them done, and she couldn't. Yeah, she was odd for a moment, wasn't she? <laughs> um, love you, Carls. We'll see you tonight. Yeah. Um, and. So I was like, don't make them like that. Yes. And But I don't want them heavy falling on my, you know. It's, a, it's an art, isn't it? I mean, I it think is. you just pop in some injections here no. and there, but it's actually an art. You've got to know where art. and how and yeah. what angle, how deep. Anyway, the undoing. I Can I t- please talk about her hair? Yeah. That's a character on its own. It's beautiful. It's, cool. it's played by the hair. Um <laughs> And I need to know, is that a wig? I think it is. And where can I get one? I think it – do you think it's a wig? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a wig because she's done a lot of chemically straight straightening stuff to her well, hair. Well, I just don't think she could get her hair that long. Oh, and that long. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I know yeah. I, I read an article about the woman that came up with that who was explaining how you talk with Nicole and the director and everyone about what you want the character to look like and yeah. we wanted her to look to bohem- bohemian with money. Oh, God, her Free. fashion is amazing. I know, that green coat. Oh, the green coat. I think is, a, is another character it of the is. show. It is. It's played by the coat. <laughs> um, the coat and the hair, I think, are, are absolute standouts in this. And if they don't win yeah. Golden Globes, Emmys and Grammys. Yeah, yep. Grammys. Um, Grammys. Are they, do they, are they bringing an album out? They are dropping an album. <laughs> it's a, it will be coat, feet, hair. <laughs> coat, feet, hair, featuring hair. Feature. Do you remember when um, Katie Allen, mm, mm-hmm. um, a friend that of ours, I always think of that. And we had he, she has three sons, and when they were young, one of them said, "Who is that? Who is that singer? Feet." 
and couldn't figure it out. Is that how it went? And you guys were like, what? No, I think I think I got schooled in what because they were saying it's you know Nelly feet someone, and I was like, what is feet? What do you mean? And they're like, you know, oh, in, they kept saying featuring, it. and I was like. Oh, that's what the kids are saying these oh, days. Oh, right. So you were the dumb dumb. Mm, I was the. T- I got oh, school. I thought it was the kids that were like, "Who is this Mm-mm. feet?" And they they're on everything. <laughs> it's you. Oh, I think we should that's change that I, story. That's what I would have. Yeah, it would have been me. They would have. That's pretty me good. Though feet, feet was everywhere. Still is everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a great show, yeah. and um, we highly recommend everyone start watching it. Only problem oh, is it can't, only one episode oh, of the week. Killing me. That, it's good though. It's it, it, it's teaching us to be patient, which I think is important because we've lost that ability. Oh my, it's gone still for me. But I've started watching the OA again. The OA. Oh yeah, that was a great Such show. Such a great show. Hmm. Mm. And you know what? Is happened? that where they're underground in the bunker? Yes. Can I tell you something really weird that happened? Mm. Season two, episode one mm. of the OA. Mm. She. The main character passes mm. out mm. and it wakes up in hospital. Can't mm. remember where she is. And the nurse says to her, do you um, know what year it is? And she says, yeah, it's 2016. She goes, good, good, good. And who's our president? And she says, Barack Obama. And the nurse goes, who? And she goes, Barack Obama. And she's like, oh. And opens the curtain and there's a TV playing. Guess who's the president? Who? Donald Biden. Trump. Oh, really? And this is an old episode and I just watched that yesterday and I sent it to my friend who is also obsessed with the OA and went, um, he's about to become president. (laughs) And this this random episode that I just happened to watch yesterday. That's I'm in the OA now. God, you tuned in. Jesus. Anywho. Anywho. Um, anything else before we get into the uh, Chick- CITN? Um, no. Um, no. Um, no. No. Uh, oh, what about tonight? We're going, we're watching Kylie live. Oh, we're we going are. to a Kylie concert. Kylie concert gig stream. Oh. Great. Did you see? I sent you. I was doing some research, and I came across on the National Film and Sound Archive. They've done this special on Kylie. Oh yeah. And it's um, it's a it's a virtual exhibition of hers. It's amazing. It's so good. It goes back into like, you know, all of the old interviews and yes, Molly and right. like all of that stuff. And she's just you know, and she's got that voice, and she's real Aussie. <laughs> yeah. And she yeah. yeah. And I just think like yeah, you know. I just really like singing. I love it. <laughs> Danny still talks like that. Um, you should also listen to the type, the take five of um, Zan Rowe. Oh, yeah. Who oh, does, yeah. you know, take five mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, this particular mm-hmm. artist every time. Or Kylie is this way. Okay. It makes Zan cry. Oh. So it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And there's Kylie Rose. So go out and buy some while you watch the gig stream. Yeah. Fun, 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 fun. Anyway, C-I-T-N, chicken the now. <laughs> Very good. 
Now, I've forgotten my um, readers, mm. so I have to put my sunnies on to read. So <laughs> I it. am cool. You- my chicken the now, it's a weird one because last week um, you spoke about Daniel Laporte mm-hmm. as your chicken the now, and it made me... Um, remember a story about Danielle mm-hmm. that is involved with my this week's Chicken the Now. Yep. So I'll tell you a bit about her. Name's Layla F. Saad. Mm-hmm. And she grew up in Dubai and she's a Muslim and Asian and African. I feel like she's quite the mix. Mm. And she was educated really, really well. Um, but had all of the um, prejudices that you have mm-hmm. as a person of colour, um, even though she was extremely, you know, she was as equal and yep. educated as anyone else. Um, she is now a New York Times and the Times best-selling author. Mm. She's written an amazing book, which I still am yet to finish and I have to admit that yeah. because it's extremely hard to get through. It's a 28-day course. Oh, what's it called? Me and White, White Supremacy. Supremacy. Yes. And it's extremely uncomfortable oh, to do. So she wrote that. Yes, yeah, she wrote that. Wow. Now, the okay. reason – I mean, she's just a wonderful person mm. um, to follow on Instagram because of her um, truth bombs. You know, as uncomfortable as they are, if you want to know really well thought out understandings of Mm. um, where people of colour are coming from, go to Layla because Layla will explain it for you really well. Shut the fuck up and go to Layla. Yeah. And just go and read her, listen to her. She has a podcast. She's And she really is quite harsh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's needed. Yes. Yeah. Um, So... Um, I highly recommend her. The reason that I found her in the first place was because of Danielle Laporte. Mm-hmm. Now, when Danielle Laporte, as we discussed last week, did started a program called Lighter, Lightwork, Light Work, um, it was reacted to by people of colour very harshly Mm. Um, and over a course of three days it came out like on the Friday the artwork came out for the program Mm -hmm. and it had people of colour and bodies on it of on the program so this is what's to come and there was women of colour mostly um, who really were very unhappy about that Mm. and expressed their views and expressed how it made them feel and why it was wrong to mm-hmm, do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what what happened is she deleted the post and deleted everyone's comments, and oh. they were more offended by that mm. than mm. Um, so. But it was Layla because everyone was just so angry. Yeah. You know, and everyone was – and what she did in two days later, because over the weekend she had a really good think about it and then she came out on the Monday with um, another po- – a new post that said, I have learned so much and my intention is never, ever to mm-hmm. insult anyone and yep. I want to learn and I want to do this. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the same post then went on to say, but – Mm. I do not need to be attacked. 
I do not, you know, made, then made it all about how she was the victim. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where Layla came in. And she was the only one to me that made it completely crystal clear. I'd not, I'd, cause as Danielle was doubling down, I'm doubling down. Mm-hmm. Part of me is doubling yeah. down going, well, no, she didn't mean that. Yeah. Why yeah. can't you understand that? Yeah. So Layla did this beautiful post. Um, it was a long one, but the gist of it for me was stop telling us how we feel about that something that feel. you've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just start yeah. listening to us. And I'd never had anyone say that. Mm. I was like, stop talking and telling us mm. mm-hmm. and justifying yourself. Yeah. Just listen. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I've not done that. Mm. I just have. And we don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And as women, we're often told by men to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's often what us as women want men to just do, just to be quiet and listen to what yeah. we're saying. Do you know what I learned from the girl, you know, um, oh, God, I think of her name, the girl that does the batchy recaps that Ma- Megan? we love, Megan Lushcombe. Lushcombe? Lushcombe, yeah. yep. She did a post about um, apologising and she said, mm. when you apologise, don't... Um, you just touched on it then. When you apologise, don't try to justify yourself in yeah. the apology. That's not an apology. That's not an apology. Which I just was like, like, yep. oh, my God. Like, it's yeah, it's not about me. It's no. not about, like, you and know, most but apologies, oh, well, I was just doing that and you don't get what I was saying. Exactly. And you, there's, your levels of, of. there's your levels of apology, um, apologists, mm. um, where you're like, oh, I'm sorry, but this is why I did that. And then there's the, I'm sorry that you took that the wrong way. Yes, yes. And then there's the, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's these levels yes. of apology. Just be sorry and yeah. and don't justify mm. your actions because mm. you, then you're not sorry. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And Lay- so follow Layla. I, I highly recommend people to follow her. She She's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but just like, a lot of pills that are hard to swallow, we need them. Sometimes we need that slap in the face. We do. Don't we? We do. If you want to move forward. And the, the one thing that she, other made point about Danielle that I found fascinating for me personally was when you're in a any kind of um, position of influence, mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to delete anyone's comments yeah. Yeah. means you are not listening. Yeah. And um, I've been guilty of that myself, I, you know, because I feel so bad about it or, you know, I don't I don't want to admit it or I do want to admit it, but mm. I don't want people to know. It's like you need to really um, respect the people that are calling you out on certain things yeah. Yeah. and say thank protect, you. Save face. You've got to let, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and just say sorry. Oh, anyway, good. so chicken the now, Leela F. Saad, S-A-A-D. Lovely. We'll put links to that in our bits and bobs. I'm excited about today because you're going to be, what's the word? Relate. You're going to relate to this one because of where it's from. Fat, funny bitch. (laughs) Really good looking fat, funny bitch. Totally. Um, No, I'm going to, first of all, we're Central gonna, Coast, close. We're gonna. I'm gonna give you a little Black bit. Blacktown by the sea. I'm gonna give you a little <laughs> bit of a history lesson okay. in surfing. Oh no! All right, come on. So, did you know 
that surfing began as an ancient Hawaiian tradition and they used to do it to pick their chiefs. No. So whoever could surf the biggest wave became the chief. Wow. They were the best fit. And that is how the chief system in Hawaii went for hundreds and hundreds of years. Wow. Depending on who could surf. The locals also picked it up because they were like, well, if the chief can do it, I'm going to try and do it as well. Um, So that's how surfing became popular in Hawaii. Now, in 1779, Captain Cook invaded Hawaii, as we know. He was actually killed by the Hawaiians. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, now, although the Hawaiians um, did end up killing him, the government or the governing system was um, that he brought with him remained and the chief system uh, was forgotten about. Mm. So along with the surfing culture as well, died out. Did it? Yeah. So for about the next 150 years, surfing, the surfing culture declined in Hawaii and not many people were surfing. Wow. Until a guy called Duke Kahanamoku. Oh, great name. The, the big kahuna. Du- is that the big kahuna? That is the big kahuna. Far out. This the is Duke. fascinating. He was born in 1890. Um, he was a very keen swimmer from a very early age. In 1911, he broke three world records in a swimming race in the Honolulu Harbour. He won a gold medal in 1912 at the Olympics. And then eight years later, he won another gold medal uh, in 1920 at the Olympics. So along with being an excellent swimmer, he was also a very keen surfer. So he is kind of the dude that brought surfing to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So um, because of his Olympic success, he was kind of famous and then um, he kind of got a bit of a following because because of that, but then also because he was a really strong surfer and everyone was sort of starting to take notice. In 1925, when he was out surfing, a fishing boat sank, which left 29 fishermen stranded. Duke managed to save eight men using his surfboard. Wow. Um, And this only helped the movement of surfing and his popularity. Popularity. During the Great Depression, men started taking up surfing as a way to bring some relief and fun to their tough lives. Uh, and Duke decided to make it his mission to show the world how good surfing was. Uh, in 1915, he travelled to Australia and he demonstrated surfing uh, at Freshwater Beach. Oops. Wow. Freshwater. Yeah. And when he was at Freshwater, he plucked a young 15-year-old girl from the crowd. Her name was Elizabeth. No, it wasn't her name. <laughs> Did you just make up yeah. the name completely? Her name was Isabel Latham. So Isabel Latham was born on the 23rd of May, 1899 in Chatswood, Sydney. She was the only child of Scottish-born parents, William Latham, who was a builder and his wife, Jane. Isabel was raised in the beachside suburbs of Freshwater. She attended Belgrave Grammar School in Manly and she later boarded at Aspley School for Girls in Stanmore. Her leisure hours were spent at the beach where she developed a passion for body surfing, also known then as shooting or surf shooting. With a C? Shooting, like shooting out of the wave. Yeah, Yeah, right, okay. Um, so beach culture in Australia wasn't always popular. You've brought this up before in a podcast that we talked about saying that people didn't want to live near the beach because yeah, it was stinky right. and that's whatever. that's right. That's um, where all the sewers went. 
Yes, but um, there was also the reason that a lot of the British settlers didn't like the ocean because it reminded them of the long and dangerous yeah. voyage that separated them from home. That's so right. So instead they moved inland and they kept to the calm waters of rivers, bays and that's harbours. Right. Yeah, that's right. But as cities grew and they became more congested and polluted, doctors started prescribing sea air yeah. and salt water for good health. So um, along with improved public transport, it made beaches more accessible and um, people started being able to travel to the beach in their leisure time. So for anyone who could afford the fare, they would go and spend the day um, at the beach. Seaside resorts started appearing along the country um, countryside and by the early 20th century, Australians had discovered the joys of the beach. By when? This, this- uh, 20th century. Yeah, by the early, early 20th century. Um, I just remember recently watching the new um, remake of Little Women mm-hmm. and when Beth gets really sick, mm-hmm. how Joe takes her to the sea. Sea, yeah. Because that's what the doctor says, you need to get her to the sea. Vitamin C, I've, I live by it. I've always and sworn the sea by air. it. Mm-hmm. Vitamin S E A. Oh right, right, right. I see what you've done there. Yeah. Vitamin D and vitamin C. Yeah. Um. And fascinating. While I was doing this research, I just I loved researching this. I went and looked at some old footage from. There's a little short movie. I will put it in the notes on the um, film and sound archive about Bondi in yeah. like the 1920s, yeah. 30s. Yeah. Uh, and it's. So amazing. It's fascinating. Because I was just thinking about the Bondi Rattler, how it would go down Bondi Road because my dad would talk about it all the time to get you to the beach. Yes, yeah. And that used to also go follow the Bondi to Bronte walk. So that that used to be It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Because it's a shit road to drive on. They should have just made it just tram. 100%. Um. So in 1915, when Isabel was just 15, the big kahuna, Duke Kanahanamoku, came to uh, Australia and he visited Sydney's freshwater beach to conduct a surfing exhibition. Surfboards at the time were made of Californian redwood. They were very, very heavy and they were Mm. difficult to ride and they were also dangerous. Mm. And Duke couldn't bring his board because it was so big, so he made one mm. when he was here. So most articles that you read, and there's a little bit of a myth that says that he, the Duke, brought surfing to Australia. But the truth is, um, and this has only been uncovered recently, is that young men had been surfing on the northern beaches for years before Duke um, visited. And there was one guy called Tommy Walker in particular, and he used to be famous for riding surfboards all the way into the shore, um, standing on his head. And there's actually photographs of him doing that and dated before Duke, the Duke came. So, um, anyway, regardless, the event just really made it popular. popular. Yeah. It was already going on. Yeah, there were already people because, yeah, there's also talks. Um, oh, we'll get into that in a minute. Okay, so regardless of those stories and whether or not you believe whether he did did bring it to Australia or it was already happening he just or not made happening, popular. he just made it popular, um, his event still attracted an enormous crowd. About 2,000 people came down to Freshwater Beach to see him. And um, after three hours of entertaining the audience on his own, he called for a volunteer to help him. Evie's got her hand up. 
Yes. Isabel, Isabel will say yes. Isabel Latham. Now, although she was only 15 at the time, she was a very accomplished swimmer and she was a body surfer as well. So um, when he called on her, she was like, heck yes, muy, 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 please. And up she goes. She thought, I'll give it a go. So she jumps on the board with Duke and they paddle out. And she remembers in interviews when she's being interviewed in her 80s, she remembers that she's yelling for him to stop. She said that she was scared out of her wits. And she said she was, she, they went up onto the wave. She said she looked down. She said it was like she was looking over a cliff. Mm. And she screamed back to him, no, no, no. And he said, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And he took her by the scruff of the neck yeah. and yanked her onto her feet and off they went down the wave. Wow. And she rode four more waves with him that day and from then on, from that day, she was hooked for life. She was a surfer. She was what already a way to learn. No. If only we could all learn that way. Yeah, and Duke Kanahanamoko. Mm. Big <laughs> Kahuna. Just call him the Big Kahuna. The Big Kahuna. He was a, like, have you seen photos of him? So attractive. Yeah. Oh, like... Tall, yeah. dark, handsome, Handsome. like, you know, she she recalls being this 15-year-old little thing and she said he just picked her up by the scruff of her neck. Yeah, like a rag doll. And she just stood with him and and rode these waves with him. Lucky that's all he wanted to do. Okay, let's not go there. Uh, So Isabel was already known locally as a sports um, mad tomboy and she was a bit of a daredevil. So um, particularly in the water, she loved aquaplaning body surfing, stunt swimming and diving. And after oh, Duke's didn't, visit... She didn't, she didn't like floating? She didn't like float. was too mellow. Float with one arm float up, one, yeah. one arm. Yeah, and after... Takes us right back to the first, first episode, episode if you are sticking with yeah. us. Yeah. Um, and after um, the big kahuna's visit, she got into surfing. Um, apparently she had a feisty, forthright personality. Her mother was an early feminist and she was influenced heavily by her as well as the various like-minded women who came regularly to meet at their house. Oh, I love it. Now, in an article from the Sun newspaper, which I found dated July 1917, so this is a couple of years after, um, she says of the um, episode, she said it was a gorgeous sensation. Yes, you steer with your feet, of course. You have to be fairly good in the surf before attempting anything on a board and even then you run risks in the learning. I love anything with a risk in it, though. When I was practising first at Freshwater, I was always covered in bruises, taking the board out to the required depth. One day when I was alone and quite a novice, the board rose up on its tail and gave me such a bang on the ear that if I hadn't exerted all my willpower, I should have dropped like a stone into the channel and been done for. Wow. But I took a grip of myself, got ashore and waited for the board to be washed up. Wow. So back then also surfboards didn't have a leg rope. That no. was that was only invented in like the 60s and 70s. They didn't have they, fins either. They didn't have fins. They never leg rope. So they you were had to really manoeuvre this hard piece of wood. Made of heavy wood. It weighed 56 pounds, her board apparently. I don't even know what that is. Neither do I, but it sounds like it's a lot. Her surfing with Duke, the Duke, had given her an international profile. A paper in LA described her as a Sydney seagull and Diana of the Waves. Why Diana? I don't know why Diana. What do you think? Because I was thinking, why have they... Was there a Diana? Diana of the Waves. And that wasn't her name. It was Isabel. And there was no Princess Diana? No. Was there a Diana of something else? I, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently they said that she was the world's greatest stunt swimmer who became proficient at aquaplaning while dodging sharks in Sydney Harbour. Aquaplaning? Yeah, so aquaplaning was like early wakeboarding. Wow. So like they would get a board and aquaplane. So kind of maybe even before water skiing, I think, aquaplaning came before Before they water skiing. Just feet Mm. um, on it. Yeah. A board on each foot. Yeah. Wow. Um, So, and the Hawaiian Star Bulletin claimed that as far as features go, Miss Latham is the prettiest swimmer to come out of Australia. As for diving, she is another Annette Kellerman. <gasps> so someone suggested to her that she might be able to make it in the movies. <gasps> so she decided to take a chance. <gasps> this was a time when the popular press and the movie houses were constantly on the lookout for the next celebrity. The choice between taking on a year as a sports instructor at Sydney Girls High School or trying her luck in Hollywood was an easy decision for her to make. Her father also agreed to fund her trip. So in 1918, she set off to the United States of the Americas. She didn't become Ethel Merman, did she? No. (laughs) Oh, God. She didn't. like, that was going to be an amazing story. No. So while she was in the States, she didn't skimp on anything. She was a young, modern woman on her own. She was away from Australia and she loved it in America. She thought she would never come home. So much so that she even took out US citizenship. Living the high life didn't translate into serious work and her father became impatient with her, living it up without any return on his investment and he decided he would no longer finance her trip and he cut all of her money. To make matters worse, she began to find life in LA less than perfect. She was lonely. She felt really isolated, disconnected. She wasn't getting any work. So she was poor. So she travelled to San Francisco, which she liked a lot better. She made friends. um, And as she had done as a young girl growing up in Sydney, she took to the water. San Francisco Bay. Well, yeah. San Francisco. San Francisco. So around 1923, when she's in San Francisco, she resorts to hairdressing to pay the rent. (laughs) I wonder if she was a hairdresser. Probably not. She hated it anyway. So she ends up going to convince the staff at the University of California at Berkeley to appoint her as an assistant teacher of swimming. She impressed everyone so much with her innovative scientific teaching methods Mm -hmm. um, and she was always adamant that she would get in the pool with her students rather than just bellowing instructions from the edge. So um, that when the position of director of swimming for the city of San Francisco came up, she was immediately appointed to it. Wow. This young Australian girl. Wow. Believe it. One of her first initiatives as director of swimming of San Francisco mm. was to establish a club system like what existed in Australia. And she um, introduced a regular season of competition. Um, once this was up and running, she organised uh, for the first 
women's competition, which was an invitational that involved local and national champions. Everyone was amazed by the speed at which she had improved the swimming of ordinary folk and also the elite sports people. And um, she certainly has been instrumental in starting several of the present day champions in their careers. It Americans. is said, and it is still said, that an Australian woman can claim some responsibility for the system that produces the champion swimmers of the United States today. Mm. And I just love that because it's so typical, like the, an Australian goes and introduces Americans to swimming because we were such swimmers, mm. you know, like and still we are. still are, grew up swimming you know, you learn it when you're at school, when you're a kid. Like mm. it just, I just love that idea that, that, that an Aussie girl mm. took that to the States. So in the 1920s, swimmers were so ill-equipped to handle the Californian surf um, and their surf life-saving methods were nothing on what we were already doing in Australia. The police actively discouraged people from swimming on the beaches because they could not guarantee their safety. So Isabel thought she would introduce Australian life-saving to the beaches say, of San Francisco. I was going to say, did she bring in life-saving? This is how Baywatch started. Now. She's Pamela Anderson, isn't she? In preparation, <laughs> she is. In preparation for the task, she thought what she would do is apply for membership at her local club, which was the Manly Surf Club. Yeah. Um, because she thought if she was a member, it would carry more authority and the people of San Francisco would respect her, especially the police, if she could claim that she was already a member of the Surf Lifesaving Life um, Association. Her application was knocked back because she was a woman, which meant, according to the president of the Manly Surf Club, his reasoning was um, a reflection of the prevailing views of women in surf lifesaving at the time. He said she would not be able to handle the conditions in rough sea. The director of swimming in yep. San Francisco. I was just about to say he argued this despite the fact that Isabel had helped struggling swimmers in pools and in the surf for many, many years. A newspaper article at the time came out and the headline Red sex ban on girl lifesaver, so Australia loses advertisement. So, meaning because of the sex ban, Australia has lost its advertisement of becoming, being able to help California, like the Californians, with surf lifesaving. Right, so it's okay. lost its promotion. Yep, about okay. that. Um, and the article said, although she has saved many lives, she is not eligible for membership in a surf life-saving club on account of her sex. Mm -hmm. In refusing Miss Latham the privileges of membership of the Manly Surf Club, the association, it is felt by beach men generally, is losing an excellent opportunity of broadcasting Australian life-saving methods. Yeah. Let's just have a little look at the surf life-saving history in Australia yeah. while we're here. Okay. The Surf Lifesaving Association of Australia did not formally accept active female members until guess which year? 1970. 1980. Oh, you're kidding. I used to be in the nippers in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So if I'd wanted to be... No. no. An official no. member. Mm -mm. And guess where I used to do my nippers? Where? Manly. Manly Beach. There you go. Manly. I knew you would 
be um, relating to this one. Jesus. We're going to find old photos of me and my nippers but outfit. Get the, yes. But in spite of that, back in 1942, the ladies of Terrigal Surf Life Saving Club Terrigal. felt they had no choice but to step in when 73 of the club's 76 male lifesavers were away because of the war. Yeah, yeah. So the female lifesavers just decided that they would just start patrolling and they would just go down there and they created their own little thing. This is in the 42, so it wasn't, you know, another 38 years until they were actually um, seen to be legit. Legitimate. Yeah. and there's this amazing newsreel that I found from 1944. It's incredible. And the newsreel is called Brother, You Have Been Saved. It was played in cinemas and it was a bit of a joke. So An the news- actual newsreel. Can yep. we actually play the newsreel? We've- or am I going to do a version of it? I think you might do a version of it. See what I mean? The luscious lifesavers are competent in all phases of their arduous duties. Manning the heavy surf boat is a real test for their enthusiasm. Such lovely lives. The boat, of course. So as you heard, the newsreel voiceover features jokes and language that would certainly create a social media uproar today. The girls were referred to as peaches of the beaches and luscious lifesavers. The camera angles focused on their legs and on their bodies, not on their faces. And like a very famous other team of women, Mm -hmm. do you remember... Um, a League of Their Own, the movie oh, with the Jamie baseball. Davis. Yes. Guess what they were called? I don't know. What? The Peaches. The Peaches. And guess what? Of the Bleachers. The Peaches of the Bleachers, were not they? the Peaches of the Beaches. Oh, oh my God. <gasps> and guess what they had to wear? Why? Skirts. Yes. To showcase their legs. Yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, apparently um, Isabel hated wearing skirts because that's what they had to swim in and surf in. And she was like, this is ridiculous. This is ri- it is ridiculous. So she is known to have surfed in Bilgola Beach naked. Oh. Love that's it. not ridiculous. Um, now, in, going back to the Lifesavers, in 1974, Don Dunstan, the Premier of South Australia, um, was the first person to make an ultimatum to the South Australian um, State Centre. He said that you either integrate women or lose the government funding um, in uh, for the surf lifesaving. Yeah. And um, then the other states started following. New South Wales said, yep, in a general meeting, they said that the Surf Lifesaving Association must permit the introduction of female membership and that they were required to obtain their qualifying um, certificate. But it didn't all come into actual action until 1980. Oh, fuck off. Get fucked. This is fucked. (laughs) Fuck right off. So in 1926, Isabel returns to Australia just for a short visit and she goes to Melbourne. Um, And 
when she comes back, there's quite a fair um, degree of press interest in her because she's been this Australian that's been overseas. She's a really good swimmer. She's the head of the Swimming Association. And um, she comes back with a wealth of experience in sports administration and she has a lot to say about the way that Melbourne handles its beaches and what it does with its public swimming areas. She was very disappointed, apparently. So after swimming at St Kilda Beach, she observed that there isn't a beach in California to equal those of Melbourne, but civic enterprise has given California some of the finest bathing pools in the world. So she says that um, California knew that let's just create ocean pools because we've got... Yeah, well, let's create baths. And... um, she jokingly said that she would like to take St Kilda Beach back to America when she returns as they, they would make the best pool out of it. And she was similarly unimpressed by the lack of foreshore development around Brighton Beach. So that's 1926. So that must have been before, Brighton you know, Bars. like the baths. Brighton and, Baths. Yeah. Very famous. And, you know, the swimming ships. Remember we talked yeah, about the yeah, swimming ships? from so our first episode. Must have been before that because she was, was very unimpressed. The first woman that we did on Chick Street, what was her name? Harriet Elphinstone. El- Elphinstone Dick. Dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what do you re- do? We remember when she came. The year I th- I'm thinking it might be twenty nine. I'm I'm thinking forty. Like yeah. I want to say like the forties, but maybe it was she earlier. Came from England. Not didn't sure. She? Yeah. But it must have been, she was very unimpressed because it must have been before we knew what we should do with our beaches. Yeah. You know, in order to sort of use them as as much as we can. And apparently she wasn't um, very, looked on very favourably by the town planners or the the, the members of the Mm. um, local government. The men. Anyway, so she goes back to the States for a few more years and then in 1929 she returns to Australia after she has a very um, serious injury. She hurts her back really badly. She falls down a manhole. Oh, shit. And she becomes fearful for how her being so injured um, and she relies so much on physical work that if she's over there she's not going to be able to get work, she's on her own. Um, and the medical the stock would have market, been very different. The stock market crashes around that time. So she leaves um, the States and she returns back to Sydney and she starts teaching at the Manly Pool and she starts writing articles for the Manly Daily. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Manly Daily. I used to read the Manly Daily every day. I've been in the Manly Daily and I used to go to the Manly Pool all the time. There you go. Um, You remember Manly Pool? Yeah. It's It's the one on the corner near Fisho's. More inland. No, I can't think of where it is. So remember where I used to live? Yeah. You used to have to take, you know where KFC is and you... Oh, yeah, 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 the back there, like Manly Vale almost. Manly Vale, almost at Manly Vale. So you'd have to take that long road towards... But wasn't there an ocean pool? I'm thinking this would have been before that. I'm thinking this would have been the ocean pool when, you know, the pool used to be at the at the... At, at the, the ocean? harbour, yeah, where you would where, yeah, the, yeah. where the ferries would come in, that was a pool there. So I'm thinking that's you know, yeah, no, I think Manly Manly Pool oh, has been sorry. around. That's a Boy Charlton pool, and oh, that's been around okay. for a really long time. Maybe yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so her health began to suffer. She developed rheumatoid arthritis and mm. rheumatic fever, 
And between bouts of illness, however, she continued to teach swimming. Mm. She became especially busy during World War II Mm. because there were a lot of parents who wanted their children to learn how to swim just in case the Japanese came. Yeah. And they they were pretty close. Mm. She also found a ready uh, market for students who wanted to learn water ballet. And it said that she... um, she opened the, the Freshwater Water Ballet School in the late 1940s and it is said that she was responsible for bringing synchronised swimming to Australia. Wow. Although uh, she was romantically linked to several men, she never married. Mm. Although she was hastened to add in an interview later in her 80s that it was not through want of suitors. The practicalities of wanting a career um, mm. between the wars, she was an only child, which meant that mm. she, when her mum fell ill, she needed to care for yeah. her mum, meant that she just didn't have um, any time, time. To marry. Yeah. She said, um, she's quoted in saying that it wasn't only practical considerations that kept her single, I was also looking for something that I never found. And um, she said that although she did have some very interesting friendships. (laughs) Yeah, I bet she did. So she lived with her mother and remained at at the Freshwater family home. Um, She continued to surf well into her 70s and she died on the 11th of March 1995 at the Raywood Lodge Nursing Home in Harbord. Um, She requested that when she died that the ceremony be held at Freshwater and um, all of her friends joined members of the local Freshwater community. They gathered um, in the beach past the break uh, in a circle of boards and her ashes were scattered in the ocean. Two years before her death, she was inducted into the Australian Surfing Hall of Fame and she became the source of inspiration for many subsequent women surfers. Australian world champion Pam Burridge even named her first daughter Isabel in her honour. Did she? Yeah. That's incredible. So Isabel was responsible for safety and security in the water of hundreds of people who grew up around freshwater and manly and curl curl, as well as teaching the people of um, the city of San Francisco, Mm. swimming and water safety as well. Her programs to encourage the young women of California to swim competitively was a complex administrative task that continues to live on well after her death. Mm. So throughout the 1930s, the 1940s, well into the 1950s, there would be few people learning to swim in those areas that didn't come in contact with her. And that is... The story of Isabel Latham. Wow. Australia's first female surfer. Yeah. Wow. Incredible story. Yeah. It's such a cool story. Such a cool story. And there's there's footage of her. Um, <gasps> yeah. Try and find go. links to it. There's interviews. Yeah. She's in her 80s and she's just delightful. Oh. She really is. She's been great to know when we were banging around in man. Oh, Yeah. Hanging out with her down the stain for a few bloody Jadine Cokes. Oh, I tell you, she would have. Oh, she would have been having her sherry. Yes, oh, we were drinking our mm-hmm. vodka Red Bulls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Vale. Yeah, Isabel Latham. Isabel Latham. What an amazing woman. And, and again, unbelievable that I knew all the men you spoke about in yep, that, yep. but we've never heard of Isabel before. Yep. No, never. And she really, really set 
set the mark for a lot of th- really important things. A lot of things. A lot. A I'm, lot of things. I'm going to look and see what's been named after her, apart and, from Pam Burridge's baby. Yeah, and the courage for her to sort of leave Australia and go to the States and just, you know, try to put those, you know, her theories around teaching swimming and, and all of those things. Mm. And that imagine, imagine if the Surf Life Saving Manly Club accepted her as had a member her. and and surf life saving australia had had infiltrated california yeah. imagine what a dick what a dick let your dick get in the way of yeah. progress there's also um because i found yeah i just love the film and sound archive i'm loving that mm. bloody site at the moment mm. i found this really um there's there's a part of an interview where this guy is sitting on the it's in the 80s and he's sitting on the wall at, at Bondi's in the background and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, like in the 50s um, he said basically it was just, you know, just women just weren't accepted in the water. Like we would just, you know, you would just totally, you would actually go out of your way to, to ride over them so that they would never come back again. Yeah. And he's like, and then in the 70s, you know, we kind of put up with them a little bit more. We were like, oh, all right, well, just let them stay out on the edges, you know, let them catch a wave every for every, like, five of our waves, we'll let them catch one. And he said, and then in the 80s, they started becoming a little bit more um, accepted, but they were still laughed at. And then there's also an article I read where they're like, um, puberty blues is fact, you know, all, all of story. that. It's a true story about how women surf were treated at the yeah. time and yeah. um, and then until today where, you know, finally just, just I think, recently women now earn the same amount of money in um, surfing competitions and I think that's only a recent Yeah, I'm not thing. even sure that they, they do completely yet. I think there's certain ones that... Where they're still not, mm. yeah, earning as much probably wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. we've gone, we've gone, we've... <laughs> Do it a bit of hanging ten today. Chicks can surf. Chicks can bloody surf. You know, really interesting surf. about um, that. I grew up on those beaches, mm. and I remember trying to surf and having brothers. So you know, being able to be protected in that way. That yep. you know, but most of the guys were just out there helping me to ho- just be able to put their hand on my bum. I figured that out. For a cop of feel. Yeah, a cop and a feel out in the water. Mm, um, but, you know, ironically, all of the guys I grew up with that surf, mm. I have one girlfriend, Karina Hayes, who is a, still a great surfer yep. from surfing in the 80s. Um, the guys all had daughters. Yeah. No sons. Right. All of these girls win win competitions in surfing. They are brilliant surfers. Like these, Amazing. some of these girls are going to go on and become world surfers. Right. Like they're so good. They're all growing up now. Young. The fathers, they they wanted them to surf. They wow. wanted their boys to surf, and they didn't have a boy. That's good. Well, that's good for yeah, for women really in amazing. Like amazing. I and I follow all of these girls oh, on that's Instagram. So, cool. so they're all in their mid teens now, mm, mm-hmm. and they are kicking ass. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what their parents do? They drive them all over the country yeah. to go to the surfing comps. That's so good. Just like they got driven all over the country when we were kids yeah. Yeah. to yeah. go to the surfing comps. It's very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Go the chick surfers. Yeah. 
Look at you, you've got to the end. So if you're still listening, we're just going to give you a few little credity bits. Executive producers of this podcast is me, Evie Jones, and of course, Annie Potatoes. But we've also got Sam Peterson. He's our producer, our editor, our wine boy, our whipping boy. He does everything. And he's also got a great podcast called Confessions of the Idiots. You know, if you all listen to us, we appreciate you. Follow us on Instagram at chickstreet underscore podcast. And you can email us at mychickstreet at gmail.com.